Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and we affirm that life is sacred, that all human life is sacred, uh, from the womb to the tomb, from the moment of conception till the very last breath that God gives a person, life is sacred. God created human beings in the image and likeness of God, and because we are the reflection of God, then our lives are sacred. The life of every human being is sacred. And so uh, the sanctity of human life has many implications. It, it means that we advocate for the unborn. It means that, that we minister to, to children uh, who, uh, who are disadvantaged, at-risk children. It means that uh, that, that we care for the poor, for the marginalized, we, we advocate for the elderly. It means that, uh, that we fight against racism. It means so many things. The implications of the sanctity of human life cover a lot because uh, every human life, every human being is a reflection of God and we should hold it with dignity and respect and with love. And it means to you personally, the sanctity of human life means that, that you matter, that you have worth and dignity, that what defines you is not what you do for a living, that what defines you is not your level of education, that what defines you is not your achievements or your failures, what defines you is not your physical appearance or the color of your skin. What defines you is not your socioeconomic status. What defines you is not how many likes you get on Facebook or what your profile picture looks like on Instagram. What defines you is the fact that you have been made in the image and likeness of God. You are a child of God. You're a creation of God. And that means that everyone else, that every human being matters. So when you believe that, when you believe in the sanctity of human life, you will care. You will care about the babies in the womb and you will care about every single living person. We're starting a new series today that we're calling, we're calling Rebuild. It's, it's based on the book of, of Nehemiah and we're beginning at the very first chapter of Nehemiah and we're going to look at Nehemiah's calling. He's calling from God uh, in this sense of joining him because God cares about every single human being. And, and as we look at his calling, we're going to explore what it means to us. How is it that God calls us to care for others? How is God calling you to care for other people? How, how does that play out? How is God calling you to join him in his redemptive purpose? So go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, and, and we hear, uh, we'll read the very first verse of this book that we'll be exploring for several weeks. And it reads like this, the words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. Nehemiah identifies himself, he's the chronicler, uh, he's, the, he's coming from his journal. He's telling his story of his calling and how God led him to rebuild. 
the city of Jerusalem, and, uh, and, and so he's identifying himself, and, and, and just to put it in context, he uh, is living in the citadel of Susa, that is in, in present-day Iran. So he is in, in, uh, in, in this Babylonian, this Persian uh, empire kingdom that he's living in, and what has happened, if, if you remember, is the people of God have been living in the land of Canaan for a long time. And they had a golden time when David was their king, Solomon was their king. It was a united kingdom that were strong and, and prosperous and, and there was security and safety and all the good things that come with being a great nation. And then the kingdom was divided. A house divided cannot stand. And then uh, after that division between the north and the south, and the Assyrian uh, king came and took the northern kingdom captive. And so all of those tribes in the north, we call Israel, were taken into captivity and, and really never came back. They, they kind of were decimated and disappeared. And the only thing that remained was the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, and because the northern kingdom had turned to other gods and to idols, they had been taken into exile. Well, the southern kingdom also eventually forsook God, and, and God had warned them, and the prophets had warned them, but, but the people of God were disobedient, and so uh, the Babylonian king came and took the southern kingdom, Judah, captive and they spent captivity they were in exile in Babylonia for many years away from the homeland their, their homeland was destroyed and they were away from from what they knew they were away from the temple they were away from uh, the, the olive trees and the vines and the prosperity and the peace they had enjoyed for so many time and, and they were captive and Nehemiah had grown up in captivity and he is now in, in the city of Susa. Now, one of the Babylonian kings had allowed Jews to return after many, many years. After centuries of exile, one of the kings had allowed the Jews to return to Judah. And so they had, be, they had begun their journey back. Some of them had gone back and they had be, began the process of rebuilding the temple. And, and Nehemiah is living during that time, and this is where we come into the story. And as I was reading this story, I was reminded, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I was reminded that when I read the Bible, when I look through redemptive history, I find that God's people spend just as much time as foreigners in another land as they do citizens of the promised land. You, you know, I go to Genesis and I realize that, that Abram was called from the land of his forefathers and God tells him, go to a land I will show you and that most of Abram's life is spent journeying. He's a sojourner, he's a pilgrim traveling to a destiny that God has shown him. We know that later his descendants, Jacob and, and his 12 sons that are experiencing a famine and because Joseph was in Egypt and he had been able to secure food. He, he calls his family to come to Egypt and, and they leave their homeland and they become refugees in Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, 
They're, they have provision and prosperity, but then there rose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, and eventually the family of Jacob, Israel, become slaves. Oh, God raises somebody that will rescue them from slavery. His name is Moses, but, but Moses is born to, to a Hebrew family, and as he's in the river, he's rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. He grows up in Pharaoh's palace in a different culture, different language, different religion, and one day he decides to take justice on his, in his hands, and, and he kills somebody, and then he has to flee. And while he is away, in a foreign land, he says, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And God calls him and he leads him to, to lead the people out of Egyptian slavery. But the people of God spend 40 years traveling, 40 years being sojourners in the wilderness before they get to the promised land. Isn't that interesting? After a time of peace and unity, they're able to conquer the land and to have good kings and they are divided and taken into exile. What an interesting thing. A lot of the pages of this Old Testament tell the story of a people that are away from their land. Tell the story of a people that are either on the way to the promised land or they have been taken from the promised land or they are hoping to go back to the promised land. In fact, we get to the book of Hebrews and we get to 1 Peter in the New Testament and the writers tell Christians in the first centuries that they are like strangers, that they are like foreigners, that this world is not their home. And this whole redemptive history reminds me, it reminds us that God's people are often on a journey. It reminds us that we are pilgrims, that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're just passing through. Redemptive history reminds us that God's people have a destiny. That even when we feel far away from home, that even when we feel like we're exiles, that even when we feel that we're strangers in the land, we have a destiny. We have a promised land to which we are going. Redemptive history reminds us that God is always at work. God is always aware of our plight. If we're in the wilderness, if we're in Egypt, if we're in Babylon, God knows where we are. God knows where his people are. He's not forgotten or forsaken. God always has a plan to redeem. God always has a plan to return. God always has a plan to rebuild. And that's exactly the case in the story of Nehemiah. God's people had been in exile. God's people longed to return to the city of God. And God was at work to make that happen. And as we look at Nehemiah's call, we learn something about our role in redemptive history. We learn something about our call. As we look at the plight of God's people in Nehemiah's time, we, we relate to much of it and we learn from it. So let me talk to you about a couple of things, two or three things uh, from our passage. The first one in terms of Nehemiah's call is that his calling came through interested inquiry. Nehemiah's call seems to be a progression. Sometimes God calls in a definite moment in a definite place. That's the way he called Moses, the burning bush. 
It was an unforgettable experience. I remember when God called me to surrender to the ministry. I was 16 years old. I can tell you I was in Houston, Texas. I was at Houston Baptist University. I can tell you the occasion. I can tell you what I thought, what went to my heart. I remember the moment, the day, the year. Sometimes God calls in a progression of circumstances. Sometimes God calls over a period of time. I, I, uh, not, not only about our vocational call, but, but in terms of our specific assignments. This, this July, God willing, I will complete 10 years as lead pastor here at Calvary if I don't get fired between now and then. <laughs> but I remember 10 years ago when when I was pastor at another church in the Metroplex, and I was happy there, I was not looking to move, I was not looking to go anywhere, uh, I, I, my family was happy, everything was going well, and, and, and then there began to be little things that God was saying to me through people, and I didn't pay attention. I said, I, I, I'm not interested. I don't know that I wanna go to McAllen. I've lived in the valley before, and it's great, but I'm, I'm good. Uh, and, uh, and then over the course of weeks and months, things would come again before me. And there were people that got used, different people in different circumstances. And several months passed by, and, and as I began to open my ears, then, then God uh, affirmed, and then he affirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed. And after the process of multiple months, then I was convinced that God was calling me to come to Calvary Baptist Church in McAllen. And that was already, that's already been almost 10 years. Sometimes God, thank you. I have one cheerleader. Yeah, thank you. One fan. <laughs> Sometimes God calls in a progression. Nehemiah's progression began with timely information that led to a heavy burden, that led to passionate prayer, that eventually led to bold action. As, as Pastor Chad and, and our team were looking at this series, he, he pointed this out, this information that leads to burden, that leads to prayer, that leads to action. Sometimes that's how God calls. That's how God called Nehemiah. Have you... Experience God calling in your life? Has, has God called you? Is it a specific moment? Is it a progression of things? The information that began this calling came from an interested inquiry. Look at verses 2 and 3 of Nehemiah 1. It says, Han and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Nehemiah asked about the condition of his ancestor's city. This was not his, his hometown, if you would. This was the motherland, perhaps. This was the place where his forefathers had lived and had been buried, and, and Nehemiah cared about that. He had spent his life in exile and now found himself in a prominent place in 
the Persian king's palace. He, he had uh, found a privileged position. He was the cup bearer. And cup bearer may not sound like a big deal to you, but, but whoever they trust to serve wine to the king, that's a trusted official. That, that's someone who has the king's ear. That is someone who is, who, who is in the inner circle of the king's court. And Nehemiah was not a, a slave. He was not an oppressed worker. He had a privileged position. And, and you think when some people, when, when they have arrived, some people, when they have gotten to places of, of prosperity, uh, 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 they, they, they don't care about where they came from. They don't care about wherever their ancestors came from, but Nehemiah cared. He cared about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. In other words, as the Jews had been in exile, some of them had died. Some of them had suffered a lot. Some of them had, had journeyed back to Jerusalem. Some of them had remained in Jerusalem. That's, that's a pretty sad thing because you know you know, you, you ought to feel bad when those that take captives and slaves don't even want to take you. Those that remain back in Jerusalem, that they had been there the whole time by themselves without an infrastructure. And, 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 and Nehemiah wants to know how, how they fared. He cared about Jerusalem where, where the temple of God had once been, where, where the glory of God had once been manifested. It was both his cultural heritage and his spiritual legacy. If we want to see God at work in our time, we need to ask questions. We need to ask hard questions. We need to ask, what is the condition of my spiritual life? What is the condition of, of my family? What's the condition of my church? What's the condition of my city, my world? What, what's going on around me and beyond me? We need to be honest and assess what is. Sometimes we, we don't want to face reality, but we need to ask questions if we're going to follow God's calling. I remember some time ago watching a movie uh, about this issue. It was around the time that it was a big deal about Black Lives Matter and, and Blue Lives Matter and that whole controversy. And, and, and the movie was about this African-American uh, cop uh, who uh, people were wondering if she was going to choose uh, the, the loyalty to her people group or loyalty to the police force. And, and, and as she lived out her calling and as she was uh, keeping her integrity, she was uh, not wanting to choose. Why should you have to choose between caring for your people and carrying out your responsibilities? I think sometimes the world today has made us think that we need to choose between their preset agendas, that we either look at the world from this, through this filter or we look at the world from this filter, but God is calling us to look at the world from his filter. What is the truth? What is the information that he wants to give us when it comes to the world around us, some are apathetic and some are anxious. Some are unaware and some are angry. Nehemiah reminds us today not to stay in our church bubble. Some of us have been in church so long that we've forgotten what it's like to be outside. Some of us have experienced the love of God and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ 
for so long that we've forgotten what it's like to live far from God. We've been saved so long that we've forgotten what it's like to be lost. And we need to ask, we need to look with concern. We need to ask, what is the spiritual condition of the world? Some church people are mad at the world and they're mad at their moral choices, but we should ask before we get angry at their moral choices, we should ask about their spiritual condition. We know that things aren't what they used to be. We look around us and so much has changed. We look at our neighborhood, it's different. We look at our city, it's different. Our country is different. The world is different and it's changing at a rapid pace and it makes some of us anxious. It, it makes people sometimes to be on edge because we like things the way they used to be, don't we? We want to return to what was. We, you hear people talking about when cars were made right and, and when songs were really saying something and, uh, and when comedians were really funny and when TV shows were good and you hear people talking all the time about what used to be. But the news that Nehemiah gets is Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. That's, that's sometimes the reality that we just have to face and, and let soak for a moment. Secondly, calling comes through intense concern. God, God begins calling us when we care enough to ask, but then as we follow his voice, our caring becomes compassion. Our curiosity turns into intense concern. Look at verse four with me. Nehemiah says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When Nehemiah received the report about the homeland, the city of God, his heart was broken. His first reaction was not anger. His first response was not fear. He sat down and he wept. He was broken as he thought about his people who were in great trouble and disgrace. They were not his close relatives. They, they, they were not his immediate family. Yet Nehemiah felt a heavy burden for their well-being. There's a movie out about two British uh, soldiers who are in World War I and and they're given a very important, they're corporals, but they're given a very important mission and, and they have to travel through no man's land uh, in German occupied territory in France and they have to get to the other side and, and it's a scary thing for two corporals to do but, but the one thing that, that one of the corporals, uh, he, he, he's being motivated by is he's told your brother is on the other side and his life depends on the success of your mission. And, and, and Nehemiah knew that there is a brotherhood. There is a brotherhood that, that calls us to, to go and to care. When Jesus walked among the Jews, he, he saw their spiritual condition and he had compassion on them. Matthew 9, 36 tells us when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. 
because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion means to hurt with someone. Passion means pain. Compassion is to share the pain that somebody else has. Nehemiah mourned for the remnant of Jews who had survived the exile. He grieved their loss. He, he sends a deep burden for them. He, he could imagine these people who had suffered for so long and had returned to the city with great hope. They, they were dreaming of returning to the city to what was. They were hoping that it was, there was beauty and strength as there was once in that city. And they could imagine the temple and the sacrifices and the peace and the prosperity that Israel had enjoyed before. These people were hoping for a place where they could finally be home, where they could be comfortable, where they could worship their God. And, and when they got there, there were ruins. And there was too few of them and too much to do. There was rubble and, and trash everywhere. The city wall was broken down. The gates had been burned with fire. Where do you begin? How do you rebuild? Where do you get the resources? How are you ever going to get enough people to get the job done? Their hope turned to despair. Their enthusiasm wore down to complacency. There was sadness and tears. There was discouragement, perhaps even depression. They lived as if they were a forgotten people. Where was God? Where was the God who told them that, that if they obeyed and they returned, that he would restore their joy? Well, God was at work, but he wasn't necessarily at work in Jerusalem. He was at work in the heart of Nehemiah, far away from Jerusalem. He was preparing him. When God calls us, he often breaks our heart. You want God to do something in your city? You want God to do something in our world? You want things to be different and better? Sometimes before God will do anything, he will break your heart. He will put a burden on you. Do you have a burden for people? Who do you have a burden for? Do you have a burden for the city? Do you have a, a burden for the kingdom of God? Does your heart break for what breaks God's heart? Does your heart break when, when you hear that, that, that every year on the average, 900,000 babies are aborted in our country? When so many families are hoping that they could have a baby? Does that break your heart? Not only that, that, that those lives are ended, but that, that the people who felt like they had to end the pregnancy were going through some turmoil. Does your heart go out to them? Does your heart break when you learn that the suicide rate in our country has increased by 30% since the year 2000? 30%. Does your heart break for the young people who are struggling, who, who don't know where to find answers, who think they don't have a place in, in God's plan? Does it break your heart to know that there are millions of immigrants all around the world fleeing extreme poverty and oppression, looking for a place to call home? Does it break your heart to know that 
There's massive confusion in our world about gender issues. And our young people are trying to figure out what it means. And our parents are trying to walk along their children and trying to teach them what the Bible says and what God's design is. And then in the middle of figuring it all out, there is hate, hate on both sides. There's rejection. When we believe that all human life is sacred, that we should respect everyone, that there should be dignity in every life. Does it break your heart to know that last year, two million people misused opioids? 10.3 million people abused opioids. Does it break your heart to know that in the Rio Grande Valley there are about 1.3 million people and that more than half of the people that live in the Rio Grande Valley do not know Jesus as Savior and Lord? Does it break your heart to know that over 700,000 people in the Rio Grande Valley have never experienced the forgiveness of God? That over 700,000 people in our, in our region, in the valley, do not have the hope of eternal life, that, that they don't know where they're going to spend eternity because they have not received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Does that break your heart? Let me tell you, it breaks God's heart. Sometimes the statistics are overwhelming. Sometimes the headlines are, are exhausting. Sometimes we experience compassion fatigue, don't we? I get push notices on my phone, the headlines of the news on my phone throughout the entire day. And there are some, some days I'm working or I'm doing something or I'm having dinner and a headline comes through about something awful that happened in another part of the world. And I just put my phone down because I'm tired of reading bad headlines. I'm tired of the bad news. We get compassion fatigue, don't we? There's so much. We, we look at the ruins and we become discouraged. The problems are too big. We, we realize that we can't help everybody. We want God to do something. We want people to change. But before God does something and before people change, God wants our heart to break. Before God calls us to action, he calls us to brokenness. Before we can make a difference in the world, God wants to put a burden in our heart. And if you don't have a burden for people, if your heart's not broken for the lost, ask God to, to break your heart. Ask God to give you a burden. If you're angry about the issues, but you don't care about the people, then go back and ask God to show you his heart for people. And then third and final, our calling comes through intercessory prayer. Interest leads to intense concern, which leads to in, uh, in, uh, intercessory prayer. When we realize the situation is bigger than us, we, we turn to God. When we realize that, that, it's, that it's overwhelming, then we turn to, to God. We turn to the one who holds the world in his hands. We used to sing as little kids. He holds the whole world in his hands. He holds the whole world in his hands. He holds the whole world. Remember that? Do you think he still holds it? 
We turn to him. We turn to the God who, who gives hope to the hopeless. We turn to the God who's always at work. We turn to the God who redeems, who, who makes life come out of the ashes. We turn to the God who calls the dead out from the grave. That's what Nehemiah did. He mourned, he fasted, and he prayed to the God of heaven. Verses five through 10. He says, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah Call on the God of heaven. When the city on earth was in shambles, was in ruins, Nehemiah called to the God of heaven. He, he declared his greatness. He proclaimed his power. He declared his character. You know, when, when the situation around us seems overwhelming, we need to remember that our God is bigger than that. He confessed the sins of the people as his own sins. Sometimes it's easy to point the finger. When there, where there's trouble around us and when things don't go well, we say, well, it's so-and-so's fault. You know, we blame the people on that side of the aisle and, and the people on that side of the aisle blame that people on the side of the aisle. We blame that group or this group. But it's interesting that Nehemiah took ownership and said, I confess. Sometimes we need corporate confession. Sometimes we need to confess that we've been part of the problem and that we've not cared enough, we've not prayed enough, we've not done enough, and that we've not always trusted God. And then he claims God's promise. And after claiming God's promise, he offers himself as part of the answer. He, he, here's the beauty of it. So, you know, when you pray, when you bring your burdens to God, when, when, when you're overwhelmed and you come to God, you know that, that you can't handle that he can, but you also know that if God's going to do something, he's probably going to use you. And so Nehemiah says, well, give me favor, give me grace. Because I'm a cub bearer. You know what he's saying is, I know you have placed me in a strategic place for a purpose. So open up the opportunity so that I can be used by you. Rebuilding a city requires work. Rebuilding requires resources. 
Rebuilding requires action. Rebuilding requires a lot of people and a whole community. But before all that, rebuilding requires prayer. God often calls us to action through prayer. As you pray, God confirms your calling. As you pray, God will make clear your role in his redemptive planning, his rebuilding plan. When we attempt to address the issues of our time without prayer, we will be powerless. When we rush to action without seeking God's face, we will grow weary and discouraged. When we rush to the battle with our, with our banner, but we've not prayed, we've not sought God's face, we will soon grow weak and be defeated. We, we need to turn to God in prayer. We need to trust him. We need to seek him. We need to know that he is always at work. That's one thing I learned from Henry Blackaby. God is always at work. And he always invites us to join him. He's calling us to join him. But we need to know he's at work. We need to be in communion with him. We need to seek his face. We need to pray. In the struggle for civil rights, Martin Luther King Jr. referred to the city of freedom. When we talk about the city, the city of freedom, there, there's a city that we're seeking to rebuild. There's a city that awaits us beyond here, but there is a city that God wants us to rebuild here, a kingdom of God that's here and now and not yet here. There's a city that calls for our initial inquiry for our intense concern and for our intercessory prayer. Listen to Martin Luther King as he talks about this God who is at work all the time. We have come over the way that with tears has been watered. We have come treading our past through the blood of the slaughter, out from the gloomy past, till now we stand at last. Where the bright gleam of our bright star is cast, let this affirmation be our ringing cry. It will give us the courage to face the uncertainties of the future. It will give our tired feet new strength as we continue our forward stride toward the city of freedom. When our days become dreary with low hovering clouds of despair, when our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, let us remember that there is a creative force in this universe working to pull down the gigantic mountains of evil, a power that is able to make a way out of no way and transform dark yesterdays into bright tomorrows. Let us realize that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Let us realize that William Cullen Bryant is right. Truth crushed to earth will rise again. Let us go out realizing that the Bible is right. Be not deceived. God is not more. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. This is our hope for the future. With this faith, we will be able to sing in some not too distant tomorrow with a cosmic past tense. We have overcome. We have overcome deep in my heart. I 
believe, we would overcome. Every generation looks around and looks at the ruins and looks at the city that needs to be rebuilt. And the only hope for every generation is to go to the God who's always at work and to ask him, what is it that you're asking me to sow today so that I can trust you to give the harvest tomorrow? Would you stand with me? Would you bow your head and would you, would you think about what is God calling you to do today as you think of Nehemiah's calling? Perhaps the place where you need to start is, is to ask questions, is to be aware of the condition around you. Maybe that's where you need to start is to, to not just hear the filtered information or the stereotypes or the cliches, but to, to look at the real condition of your life, your family, your church, your city. Maybe where God is calling you today is, is to ask him to break your heart for what breaks his. Maybe there's apathy in your life. Maybe there's anger. But God wants to put passion and compassion. He wants to put his love in your heart for people, for all people. For the unborn, for the immigrant, for the poor, for the rich. For the Americans, for the Europeans, for the Middle Easterns. For Christians, for Jews, for Muslims, for atheists, for people who believe the Bible, for people who live far away from God. God wants you to care like he cares. Do you have a burden? Has God given you a burden? Will you ask him to give you one? And lastly, how is God calling you to prayer? How is God, God calling you to intercede? To prepare spiritually for what he has in store for you. Father, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for your promise. And I pray that today as we respond to your word, as we respond to your calling on our lives, that we would have the faith and the courage to do it. Help us surrender our heart to you. If it's for the first time that we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, or if it's the upteenth time, today in a fresh, new way, you're calling us to be a part of your redemptive purpose. Help us to answer faithfully. As we sing, I, I want to invite you to come to the front and, and respond. You can kneel up here. Or there will be pastors, deacons up here that will be glad to pray with you. Maybe you have a, a difficult situation. Maybe you need to pray for physical healing or emotional healing. Maybe there's a struggle. Maybe there's a question. Maybe there's a commitment that you're making. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. You come as we sing.